Okay, so don't forget uh, real quick that uh, there is the opportunity for some extra credit. Uh, you can do this review that uh, we're fixing to go over. I gave you this copy last week. Um, it should be on E-Class. If it's not, I'll be sure it's on there. So you have a digital copy if you prefer that. Um, and then also remember I told you you could do some little opinion pieces on two things for some extra credit. That was the um, about the Mississippi abortion case that the Supreme Court just heard. They haven't made a decision yet, uh, but you could write up a little response about that. And then also redistricting here in Georgia, you could write up a response about that. You know, there's some, I don't want to say controversy just yet, because no matter what state you're in, it's drawn up by the state legislature. And whichever party is in control, for example, Georgia is controlled by Republicans right now at the state level. So they get to pretty much draw up the map. Um, the Democrats are going to say, hey, that's unfair. But if you're in a blue state, like say New York, and the Democrats are drawing up the lines there, guess who's going to say it's unfair? The Republicans. So it's, I don't want to say it's unfair here in Georgia, but look at it, look into it and write up a piece on that. You can do one, you can do two, you can do none, but I will give you some extra credit for that. And then I'll also give you extra credit for this final exam review. Now, one last thing before we get going with the review, don't forget this is a county exam. It is not my exam, okay? So I, um, I have really no control over it. Okay, so I have no control uh, over the exam. It's uh, just whatever they, um, it's whatever they put on there. Okay, uh, so we've done everything we're supposed to as far as the AKS. Uh, I have a little book that I follow uh, that the social studies people that made this exam put out. So I've got this little booklet and it tells me Hey, 23, 23A, exactly what to do. So everything we've done has come from this booklet to try and cover every AKS. So every video that was on E-Class, every PowerPoint, every assignment was based around that. So hopefully you're as prepared as possible for it. But we will take the exam Friday in our class, uh, 2016, uh, on school devices. So just be ready. Okay. All right, let's get going. So uh, first off, the foundations and principles of American government. Number one, what did John Locke say about government? Well, uh, the main thing to take away from John Locke is that he believed the government should uh, come from the people, okay? And when I say come from the people, I mean that the government is here to operate and work for the citizens, not the other way around, okay? So every piece of legislation, every law, every policy, all that kind of stuff, at the end of the day, it should be something that the, the, the people need, want, okay, uh, and can benefit from. So the John Locke and the government, it's for the citizens, okay? Uh, and if you're writing this stuff down, it, it is going to be podcasted, so you can just go back uh, and you know, listen to it again if you need to, okay? Uh, what is social contract theory? Uh, that is an agreement. Now, it's not a real agreement. Uh, but it's the agreement with the people and the government, okay? So the people, in theory, could govern ourselves. We could, you know, be in our little neighborhoods or cities or towns or whatever we wanted to, and we could govern ourselves. But instead, we turn over the right to govern to the government. So we say, hey, you make rules for us, we'll follow them. In return, the government agrees to make rules that are fair for us and that benefits us 
uh, and that helps us. Okay, I'm not saying take care of us because that's not what the government's going to be supposed to be doing, but they will make rules and laws that help us to protect us, benefit us. Okay, uh, totalitarian government number three. Uh, that is just that government that is completely ignores the people. Uh, it is all about what the government wants, does need, all that kind of stuff. Uh, think of an authoritarian government. Uh, a government where the people's needs are completely ignored. Uh, they're just going to do whatever's best for them. Number four, what is a federalist system of government? Uh, that is where there's multiple governments that have power, that have control. I shouldn't say control, uh, but have authority over us. Okay. So for us here in America, we have the federal government up there in DC that makes laws and rules that, that have to that we have to follow. And then we also live here in Georgia where we have to listen to their rules and laws. Okay. So federalism is just the splitting of power authority uh, over the people. Um, now it also, there's some give and take between the state and federal government as well. The federal government funds the state government for a lot of things, school being one of them. What form of government does the U S have? Uh, we are a Republican government. We are a Republic, remember. Um, <clears throat> democracy is just how we pick our leadership. Uh, but in this Republic, we elect representatives to make rules for us, to govern for us. Uh, there's no way possible for all 300 and let's say 30 million people uh, to participate in the government and make decisions and have a voice and all that kind of stuff. So instead, we have the opportunity for everybody that's eligible to vote to go vote for leadership that will then speak for them. All right. Number six, what is the difference between parliamentary and presidential systems? They're very similar. They both have kind of a Congress and then a president type position. For us, it is Congress and president. For the English, it's the parliament and a prime minister. Okay. Um, so the you good oh, just put it there um the biggest difference is that in the presidential system we the people will vote for a president versus the parliamentary system where the parliament i mean excuse me the pre, prime minister comes from the parliament and the people have no say so in who the prime minister is okay so they are picked by the the uh, parliament. So it'd be like our Congress picking our president versus us picking our president. Okay. Any questions about one through six? Yeah. Yes. So the question was, who picks the members of parliament? The people do get to pick them. So they do have a little bit of say so. So good question. Good point. Anything else from one through six? All right. Moving on the Constitution. Uh, what was the first form of government in the U.S. before the Constitution? That's the Articles of Confederation. So the Articles of Confederation was our first form of government. Uh, remember, it was pretty bad. All right. Uh, and when I say bad, it was just very weak. The, the government didn't have much say so. Uh, the states had all the power. Remember, people were scared back then of going back to what we had, which was the king, the monarch. And so we wanted to do the complete opposite, which is why we made a very weak. It was on purpose. Like they did it on purpose. They just didn't realize how bad it was going to be. But the Articles of Confederation, they couldn't tax the states, they couldn't raise the military, uh, they couldn't control uh, economic stuff, they couldn't, you know, there was a lot of stuff they couldn't do. 
So it was just kind of a disaster and led to the Constitution. Number eight, why were the Federalist Papers written? You know, we today in history kind of snap our fingers and the Constitution was written and signed. But remember, there was a lot of debate about the Constitution and whether we should create this new government or not. So the Federalist Papers were written in support of the Constitution and to try and encourage uh, the American people to sign off on it, to agree to it, to actually kind of embrace the Constitution because not everybody did. Uh, there was people who were very much though against uh, giving power to this Federalist government, to this national government. Number nine, what did the Anti-Federalist demand be added to the Constitution? So the big hang up on the Constitution was where are our rights, where are our liberties? And if you read through the Constitution, there's no mention of protecting us as citizens from some government actions. So the anti-federalists were like, before we sign this thing, we, we're already begrudgingly agreeing to it. But if you want our full support, you got to put a bill of rights in there. And so that's those liberties that we have. So free speech, no search and seizure, uh, no double jeopardy, uh, right to a lawyer, right to a jury, and all those sorts of things. So the Bill of Rights was an important piece that brought the anti-federalists on board with the Constitution. All right, what is the necessary and proper clause number 10? So uh, this is in the Constitution. It's in Article 1, and it's sometimes called the Elastic Clause as well. So you might see it as either or. But the necessary and proper clause is a part of the Constitution that says Congress can, can kind of stretch their powers. So just because it doesn't say specifically in the Constitution, Congress can do this, okay? Congress is allowed to read and interpret the Constitution and then stretch their powers. My favorite example, because I'm a U.S. history guy, comes from the 1830s. Congress wanted to create a bank in the United States. It doesn't say in the Constitution that Congress has the power and the ability to create a bank in the United States. Read through it. It doesn't say that anywhere. Okay, but it does say that Congress controls commerce. Remember the Commerce Clause. And so the Congress people back then, they read that. They used the Necessary and Proper Clause to stretch their powers. Well, if we control commerce and banks are part of commerce, we can create a bank in the United States. Okay, so that's where that comes from. Number 11, what are the first 10 amendments called? That's the Bill of Rights. Number 12, what five things does the First Amendment protect? All right, you got free speech, you got free press, free religion, the right to assemble, and the right to petition. So once again, the first five things that the First Amendment protects, the right to speech, the right to religion, the right to the press, free press, the right to assemble, and the right to petition. The only extra thing I'm going to add in there for the First Amendment is the free freedom of religion has two parts to it, has two clauses. You've got the Establishment Clause and you've got the Free Exercise Clause. The Establishment Clause just says the government won't create a religion. So yes, you have freedom of religion. And to take it an extra step, the Founding Fathers put in there, hey, our government won't try and create a religion either. So there's never going to be a first church of the United States, a first church of Georgia that you're forced to go to. Okay, And then the other thing is free exercise, and free exercise allows you to worship how you want to. So if you want to be one of the 
you know, mainstream religions is out there, uh, whatever it might be, Protestant, Islam, Judaism, any of those things, or if you're kind of something that's not necessarily mainstream, uh, you, know, you can do any of that kind of stuff as long as it's not illegal. You can't do illegal stuff under the free exercise clause. Uh, number 13, yeah. Uh, petition. Assembly. Assembly. All right. Uh, 13. What does the Fifth Amendment guarantee? Okay. A couple of things. First off, no self-incrimination is probably the big one. All right. So you do not have to, to talk to the police. Uh, you don't have to incriminate yourself in court either. Okay. So you cannot be forced to uh, say anything that might make you sound guilty. All right. Uh, you're also protected from double jeopardy. So no double jeopardy, meaning that once you are found not guilty, uh, they can't charge you again. Uh, now, you can be charged at the different levels, state and federal government, but this is to keep the government from just constantly retrying you until they get a decision that you that they want. Okay? So the two big ones from the Fifth Amendment are no self-incrimination and then no double jeopardy. Number 14, the Sixth Amendment, uh, it provides for a couple things. All right? First one is a right to a jury. So you get a jury trial uh, no matter what. So right to a jury trial. You also have a right to a lawyer. Okay, so you have a right to a lawyer. So this is why I've told you multiple times, if you ever find yourself in trouble, if you're ever arrested, shut up, ask for a lawyer, and then don't say another word. Okay, they're going to get you, even if it's just a public defender, uh, they're going to get you somebody that can help you through the questioning and all that kind of stuff. If I was ever found myself in trouble, knock on some wood, I never do, I would have no idea who to call. I don't have a lawyer on speed dial or, or anything like that. And I don't memorize the billboards that I see uh, on the interstate from all these lawyers. So I would just say, give me a lawyer, and then I would shut up and not say another word. Okay? So just uh, don't get in trouble, but that's for that. All right, so you get a jury, you get a lawyer. Uh, you also have a speedy trial, okay, and a public one. So a fair, speedy public trial. They're not going to have a trial in some dark room uh, in the basement of the, the sub-courthouse where no one else can knows, knows what's going on. All right, 15, the Eighth Amendment forbids cruel and unusual punishment. Okay, so cruel and unusual punishment. So that goes straight to, you know, for most of us, the death penalty. Uh, but there's, you know, also the, the, the punishment has to fit the crime. So if you grab a sandwich from Quick Trip, one of those cold sandwiches, it's like five bucks, and you run out the store, and you trip and fall, and they catch you, and you get arrested, they're not going to put you in jail for 50 years, all right? Um, yeah, they probably won't even charge you. They just say, hey, pay the $5 and get out of here. Uh, but, you know, hopefully you understand that. All right, going to the next page, 16. How are changes made to the Constitution called? That doesn't make much sense. Um, the amendment process is what it is, okay? They're amendments. And just real quick, well, that's the next question. So uh, I'm assuming the question, because I didn't write this thing, so don't, don't think I wrote this. Uh, how are changes made to the Constitution called? Uh, the answer is amendments. So they're called amendments. And then the next question, 17, how does an amendment get approved to be added to the Constitution? Two steps. Uh, Congress, so our National Congress up in D.C., has to uh, create and then approve a, an amendment, all right, it's by a two-thirds vote. So Congress has to uh, you know, propose and then vote on an amendment uh, and then the second step is the states, by three-fourths vote, have to approve it. All right? So just because Congress proposes it 
doesn't mean it, it happens. It has to go to the states for approval, and that's a three-fourths vote. So you need 38 states to say yes to, a, to a, a, an amendment. So two-thirds of Congress has to approve it, and then three-fourths of the states have to ratify it. Uh, number 18, what are the three branches of government? Hopefully pretty simple for you. And I say this, but if you ever watch one of those, um, like where they ask people questions, like stuff that's like, who fought in the Civil War? And people are like, oh, England and France or you know, some crazy stuff. People get asked, what are the three branches of government? They can't answer this. So I say it's easy. Hopefully after this class, it was for you. But you've got the judicial branch, you've got the executive and the legislative branch. Those are our three branches of government. Okay. So if I ever see you on YouTube and someone's questioning you about what the three branches of government are and you say something crazy, I'm going to come find you. I'm kicking the shin. Okay. Three branches of government are congressional slash legislative, executive, and the judicial. All right, number 19. What does it mean to say our government has checks and balances? So remember, we have those branches of government, okay? And so that's the separation of powers. You have the executive branch that enforces the laws. You have the legislative branch that writes the laws. You have the judicial branch that, that judges them, all right? So they stay in their lane as far as their powers go. But they also get to watch over each other. So the president can veto legislation that Congress passes. Congress can impeach the president. The judicial branch has judicial review over the other two branches. Okay, so what does it mean when we say checks and balances? It's just the branches making sure the other branches don't get too big, don't get too powerful, don't overstep their boundaries. All right, so checks and balances are just that watchdog function. All right, any questions about the Constitution? That would be number 7 through 19. Everybody okay that one? Okay, uh, now 20 through 31, and that'll be it for the, for this one. Uh, so 20, what does a bicameral legislature have? Pretty simple, two houses, okay? You've got, we, for us, we have the House of Representatives, which is based on um, population, and then you've got the Senate, which is based on equality. So bicameral just has two houses of the legislature. 21, what are the formal requirements to be a representative? There's three things. Okay, so to be a House member, you got to be 25 years old. So remember, that's y'all's first step to get into government. Uh, you'll be 25 in seven years, most of you. So you could be a House member the quickest, all right, as far as if you want to be a legislator. Uh, then you've got to live in the state that you're going to run in. So you have to live in the state. So if you want to represent a district in Georgia, you got to be in Georgia. And then you got to be a citizen for seven years. You have to have been a citizen for seven years. You could be a naturalized citizen, but you have to have been a citizen for seven years. All right. Number 22, how many members are there in the House of Representatives? Pretty quick and easy, 435. So there's 435 House members. That'll always be the number. That's not going to change. 23, who is the presiding officer of the House of Representatives? Another quick and easy answer, the Speaker of the House. So the Speaker of the House, uh, and they run things. Okay, they, they are the most powerful position in all of Congress. There is no Speaker of the Senate. There's only a Speaker of the House, and they are a very powerful position. Okay, uh, and right now it's Nancy Pelosi. 24, what are the formal requirements to be a senator? You got to be a little bit older. You got to be 30. You got to be 30 years old. Uh, once again, you have to live in the state, and you have to be a citizen for nine years. So once again, you can be a naturalized citizen, but you have to have been a citizen for nine years. Uh, a citizen for nine years. Yep. Uh, 25, who is the president of the Senate? Okay, so officially it's the vice president. 
but they never do their job because they really can't do anything as the president of the Senate, so they never go. That's why I've told you multiple times now that if you ever run for president, please keep me in mind for your vice president because I can not do my one constitutional job just as well as anybody, okay? I cannot go to the Senate, uh, and I can just sit in my office and play solitaire and whatever else I play on my phone uh, all day, and I won't mess you up, I promise, okay? Uh, so anyways, that's the president of the Senate. 26, what is the name of the people who assist the majority and minority leaders in Congress? Uh, so they're called WHIPs, W-H-I-P. Uh, you've got majority whip, you got minority whip. And basically what they do is they're kind of the go-between between the everyday rank-and-file congressman and the leadership. So if I show up to Congress and I have a problem, I'm not going to go run to the Speaker of the House. I'm going to run to the whip. And the whip will then go talk to the uh, leadership and say, hey, Chris Daniels from Georgia has this issue. And if they think it's important, maybe they can meet with me. If not, oh, well, I'm just not important enough. Okay. Uh, 27, where does most of the work of Congress get done that's in committee? Uh, I think I told y'all when we reviewed the congr uh, congressional part that I used to have a vision of Congress where everybody's sitting, you know, all 435 members of the House are sitting in their at their desk in the auditorium, watching, listening, working. Uh, all 100 senators are sitting at their desk in the auditorium, watching, working, listening. Uh, and that happens almost never. Okay. Uh, all 435 and all 100 are very rarely ever together at the same time. More often than not, they're in their offices. They only come together for big votes and big debates and things like that. But most of the work takes place in the committees. Committees is where they're going to do the, the work on the bill. They'll make changes to it, vote on it, have hearings, discussions on it. They'll do that in their small committees. Okay. Um, so that's, that's that. Number 28, what is a filibuster? All right, filibuster is a Senate-only thing, and it is unlimited debate. So basically, if I'm the minority party in the Senate, I will try and talk a bill to death. Now, I can't actually kill a bill by talking about it. But what my goal is, is to delay action on everything else. There is a limited amount of time that the Senate has to get every single bill that they want to get through, through. If it doesn't get done by the end of the session, then the bill dies and it has to start all over. So my goal as the minority party, when I filibuster, is not necessarily to kill the bill. Instead, it is to delay action on every other bill and try and force the majority party to be like, hey, we gotta, we really got to get this thing done so that we can uh, get other stuff done. So that's the goal. Number 29, what is a cloture? A cloture is a vote that ends debate. All right, so cloture is something that ends debate. It's how you end the filibuster as the majority party. So I'm up here talking, 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 talking. And you're like, we've heard enough debate. I make a motion for a cloture, all right? We then would have a vote. If 60, six, zero senators say, yeah, let's end debate and let's vote on the issue, then we would stop debate and we would vote on the issue. So a cloture ends debate. That's why if you are in the Senate, and you have 60 members, 6-0, that supports you, you have a supermajority because there's nothing that can be really done by the minority party. If you know the minority party is going to filibuster, then as soon as they start talking, hey, I feel this way, but uh, I make a motion for cloture, and we just end debate 
you know, it, you pretty much can crush them. Number 30, what is the final step in turning a bill into a law? That is going to be the presidential signature. So the president signs it. And finally, for this session, 31, what is the difference between enumerated slash expressed and implied powers of Congress? Okay, so the enumerated or expressed are written in the Constitution. You can go and find and see where it says that Congress is the only one that can print and coin money. All right, that's an expressed power. You can go and read and see where it says Congress is the only one that can declare war. So on and so forth. There are laws that are written and in there. They are expressed. You can go find them. Implied power circles back to that necessary and proper clause where, okay, it doesn't say that Congress can do it, but we think they can. All right. So going back to the Bank of the United States, didn't say they could create a bank in the United States. It was implied by that commerce, commerce power that they could. Okay. All right, guys, that is the first part. Uh, I'll release, uh, as far as podcasting goes, I'll release the second part when I record it on Tuesday. We don't take this test till Friday, so please hold on to your reviews until we get done, uh, and or not to get done, but until we take the test on Friday uh, this week, which is the 18th, I think, or the 19th, something like that. Is it the 17th? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's when Spider-Man comes out. Yeah. So uh, on the 17th. Okay, uh, is when we take it. Once again, we take it in class. So we take it in class and um, just be as prepared as possible. It will be on school devices uh, and I'll have a code for you and you have to log in and all that kind of good stuff. If you have questions, please remind message me. Um, you can uh, email me. You can see me in person. I'll be here all week. Uh, if you want to interact on social media, the Collins Hill Gov and Civics page is chhsgov underscore civics on Twitter. I'll be happy to respond to you there since I run that account. All right, guys, uh, I'll talk to you all later. Bye-bye.